This podcast is brought to you by Iodine Life Coaching. Iodine Life Coaches help you reach your full potential and reach your desired results. We address detailed personal goals, business ventures, general circumstances, and transitions. Visit our website today at iodunelifecoaching.com. That's A-Y-E-D-U-N lifecoaching.com. Iodune, life is sweet. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Is Beloved. In this episode, I am joined once again by my friend Hakeem. Hey! I know y'all haven't heard of heard from him in a while, but he's here. He's good. I missed y'all. I missed y'all so much. <laughs> God knows. I miss y'all so, so much. Silly. And then I am joined by a very special person, Gerald. <laughs> Daniel. What up, y'all? What up? What up? What up? Okay, so in case you're wondering who Daniel is, Daniel was my boyfriend. Ooh, okay. <laughs> she all boot up now. And um, he is with he is with us all the way from North Carolina. North Carolina. So yeah, he's cool. joining us in this episode. I'm super excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. So we are going to discuss uh, part two of embracing dark moments. This is the long-awaited episode because I know I posted part one like a month ago. Probably yeah. Yeah, probably like a month ago. Not a month. Yeah. So this is part two of embracing dark moments. So in this episode, we're just going to discuss um, personal experiences that we have had um, that were dark or unpleasant and we're going to discuss how we overcame them all right mm-hmm. okay before we get into that though i want to discuss something that bothered me this week or something that interested me this week i don't know if you guys um saw the recent uh news headline about the um uh the college scandal yes did you hear about that? I did hear about that. Yeah. Austin, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole bunch of schools across across the U.S. Um, and Ivy League schools. Some coaches were involved too. In yeah, coaches, scandal. teachers. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was so interesting because it's like people are really spending a whole lot of money to get their kids in Ivy League schools. This was like something that only happens in movies. Exactly. Like when I saw it, I was like, "Wait, is this like a movie or is this like real life?" Yeah, it's crazy. Yes, and it was like millions of dollars. dollars. Millions of dollars just to get your kid in the school. Like, you still got to pay tuition and all that, but like... Yeah, I actually saw a meme, and it said, um, black folks, the only thing we can hope for is that the person in the admissions office was a line brother to our mother or right. father so they can win the application <laughs> fee. So that's all we get. Application fee win. That is funny. That's but man, that was that was crazy. That was so crazy. I don't know if I should feel bad for the parents or for the students. Like for the, the kids who are actually like involved in this. I think the students will be the ones we should feel more like bad for because um the parents were actually just trying to be scandalous to get their, yeah. their kids in a school that they could have worked their way to get themselves in. Mm-hmm. Now it makes them look like, you know, they, they're they just, you know, these entitled kids that, you know, they'll do what their parents will do whatever mm-hmm. to get them into a certain institution. But right. it's deep. 
Right. I'm only going to feel bad for the kids if the kids did not know. If the kids knew that their parents were doing, doing this, that, then yeah. I could care less about them. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's deep. That is deep. That is deep. It just go. I mean, but like for the parents, I just, I just feel like it's real love. I don't know. I just feel like you know, like when a parent cares about their child so much, they'll do anything for them, and like money is like not an option. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna send them to the best colleges because I really, really love you and I care for you. You guys don't see it that way. I do get where you're coming from. It's just I never thought about it that way. No, you don't see it that way. No, I see it as white privilege in its extreme form. Because you are privileged, you have money, you're able to make those kind of moves. With those of us from with the darker colored skin, we don't have those options. If we tried to do that. They would call the they would call the cops and the police right. and the FBI on us in a heartbeat. But it's because these individuals have the privileged skin in this country, they're able to do it and it be swept under the rug until many years later where they get caught. That is true. But we don't know who is all involved yet. We don't. So who's to say no. that some you know, darker colored skin people were also involved in the scandal. And that's very true. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. But my bias is stepping in and they're probably mostly white. But <laughs> I will that's I'll keep as much of an open opinion with that one as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know this week, would they bother me? Well, it's been a lot, like ever like since the last time I've been on a podcast, a lot has happened and it's like twenty nineteen is more like a year that things are being revealed. It's more like things that were in the dark. It's coming to light now. With the whole issue going on with R. Kelly, which was which actually started in December, then Jesse Smollett and that little stunt he pulled in Chicago mm-hmm. to Michael Jackson, who we all, you know, looked up to and then the Catholic Church and you know, you know, more and more Things are coming to light. Mm-hmm. What else happened? But I think something that really interested me today before I actually come in over. Jordan. Um, not, no, the, the, I'm sorry. I, I love everybody, but that's not important. I'm sorry. That's just not important. <laughs> and I would not spend this whole session talking. <laughs> I love people, but you know what? It's not. It's just, you know, I think that story just taught us that we all go through stuff. Be mm-hmm. it rich, be it poor. They go through the same stuff we go through. Mm-hmm. No matter your class, no matter your gender, no matter your color, we mm-hmm. all go through stuff. But what really interested interested me this week was um, um, I was talking about a young Vincent or with somebody, and I just saw this little interesting post on Facebook of this gospel artist because you know, like I'm always about you know the church and I love gospel music and um, Leandria mm-hmm. and um, I don't know Yanla fixed my life went mm-hmm. over to her and I think she's been addicted to like alcohol and she's been addicted to I guess smoking and doing all this stuff and then Yanla went over to her to like you know extend her arms out to her but she's like denying it she's like I'm, I'm fine I'm fine she's like you're not fine and then I, they show like a video of like all the drinks she's been getting hooked up on and you know Things she's been doing that's not that you would never expect a gospel artist to see or to do sorry but um that's what you know has been going on with her and it just interested me that you know people that we we think they got perfect lives mm-hmm. they got perfect you know they they about they about you know the gospel they about god but they struggle too and it's just right. like wow it's just like we got to be careful how we call people our goals or i look up to you i care about it oh my god like if only i could be like you Mm -hmm. and it just taught me that we all struggle be it poppy be it 
popular or non-popular, we all struggle. It's just the only difference that they have a visibility on their lives that shadows what's going on with them. But that's just so interesting that I, you know. That is really interesting. Do you know Leandria, Daniel? Yeah, I know Leandria. I know I wanted to. How do you feel about this, this news? Uh, well, so I'm already biased because I don't like um, Ayana, Ivana, whatever her name you is. You don't like Ayala? Fix my no, life. I'm not a, I'm not what? A, I'm not a fan of her, no. So I'm going to keep my comments short, sweet, and simple. I think that that episode is going to be a crap show for the simple fact of what Akeem has already said that people have these expectations of gospel singers, of people of this high religious status. And because she is coming out very raw, even though Leandra's always been very open and honest about every single thing that she's gone through. Um, but the the wide stream media, the, uh, the gospel world, if you will, are going to condemn her as soon as that thing comes mm-hmm. out. So, you think so? It's gonna be a crap song. So. Yeah, yeah. Why you think Molly Music is not doing gospel music anymore? Who? They ostracized him. Molly Music. Molly Music. Yeah, but it was closer, and that was it. Was a revival in the club that took yeah, place. Like, honestly, Kurt Franklin, Kurt Franklin himself said that gospel artists are some of the cruelest people you can encounter. They will push you out of the industry, mm-hmm. which is what happened to Molly Music. So, but I feel like Molly yeah. music wasn't was never mainstream though. Because his music does not fit the archetype of what is considered quote unquote gospel. Oh, yeah, I never knew yeah. this. Second Coming is very experimental. Right. Second Coming is very experimental, but I love it because he's like he's like Ty Chibbit with not as much dance energy but with the same quirky and experimental mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I agree. I love yeah. Molly. I, wish, I, like more, him, I yeah. wish more people would know about him. In fact, I'm kind of shocked that some people don't know who Molly is. I did, I never knew Molly music so you invited me over to um, concert. his concert this last um, year. I got there, and what I saw, I left that venue a different person. Um, he bought in his music and he just related it back to the gospel. Right. And, and everybody. He went. brings himself, his personality into, into his, his music. music. And I feel like that, that that's probably why most people don't understand him. Mm-hmm. Because he can seem kind of like, he's kind of like, if there's like a spectrum of gospel music, he's like on the far end of the spectrum. You okay. Know? Yeah. He's just like, I'm. Um, not gonna, you know, be singing holy, holy, holy. But that's when a style. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, my life ain't right, but I'm trying to get right. Get right. And I'm trying to please God, you know. But no, when I actually heard about him, I'm like, yeah, why isn't he as popular as other gospel artists who are not really that good? I don't know. I should not. I don't know if to say a gospel artist is good, but um, you can, you can. Like, you know what? A while back, I used to feel so bad when I would hear a gospel song. I was like, oh, I don't like this song. I'm going to skip it. And it's just like, why are you skipping that? It's a gospel song. You should listen to it whether or not you don't like it because it's gospel. And I used to feel so bad. And and I'm just starting to realize that, that, you know what, it's okay to skip a song that's gospel that you don't like. You don't like, exactly. So, 
Yeah, it's trash. That's yeah. a lot of trash gospel. There's a lot of trash gospel music out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What interesting thing has happened to me this week? I'm not really sure. I know I've had some moments, but I know Timmy and I had a very interesting conversation yesterday. Um, I don't want to get too much into that because the more we talked about it, the more I thought that's going to be a podcast conversation. So I don't want to touch on it too much. Um, but I was listening to a previous podcast and they were talking about the dynamics between black Americans, which most people would call African Americans and the way they are viewed by Africans. And that was a very interesting conversation that her and I had. And we've had that conversation before, but I feel that for some reason yesterday kind of pricked me a little harder than the conversation that we've had prior. So that was an interesting conversation. And like I said, I'm not going to really touch on it, but the simple fact that it's going to be a podcast eventually anyway. Mm -hmm. So we'll just leave it at that. But how do you feel about this though? Okay, what's the question? What? So how, oh, I don't know if I even want to talk about this with you because I, I remember us having this conversation in the car mm-hmm. on the way back to... Well, I'll keep it short. Uh, on the way back home to... From from church? From, yeah, from church. When we were talking about that you don't relate to black people. No, 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 no. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I, I love my people and I love everybody. I'm not just too caught up. I'm still learning and I'm still kind of like growing. But what's the question? That's, that's it, how Africans really don't relate to black people, even though well, we have the same skin. Well, I know in my school, one day I was talking to somebody, and she told me that this guy who's from, I guess, Uganda or from some country, and he was like, oh, he does not believe African-Americans should call themselves African if they've, not, if, they've, if they've never been to Africa, that he does not see them as Africans if they've not been to Africa. So why do we call them African-Americans if they've not been to Africa or they're not really caught up on their ancestries and they're not really caught up in what their culture really is? So that's really interesting, but um, um, how I do. do you feel? How do I feel? Well, as about, an African, am like I how African? Africans relate to African Americans. Mm-hmm. Growing up Nigerian, I think you know this because we both grew up Niger- like in a Nigerian household. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we do. I think I believe that we do have our biases mm-hmm. towards African American, and that's why I tell people that you know a lot of the biases that, that's happening in the black community is from our own people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, where they you like, I think they like um, even with like Africans at all. You know, don't don't man an African American. You can't bring you know what? an African American home. One day, my pastor in my old church that I used to go to, she she brought all, all the youths out and she started praying on us, right? And one prayer that I will never forget. I was like maybe twelve year, twelve or thirteen years old. One thing she said in her prayer was, they will not marry a black person in Jesus' name. And me and my friend was, we were looking at each other. We were like, what? That sounds so ignorant. What? That sounds so ignorant. Why would she say that? I mean, I think my and, mom. And everyone, all the adults in the room was like, amen. And I was like, wow. No, I think my mom actually struggled with that for a while of like having to settle with the fact that, you know, we go outside our culture or outside our yes. whatever's going to get married. But one day she told me, she's like, Tywo, I'm about your happiness. If you know, if um you if you meet a black American or an African American who makes you happy and gives you what you want, mm-hmm. I am for it and I'm gonna support that marriage and I'm actually gonna be behind you. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'm not worried about who you get married to, but who makes you happy right. and gives you that need and want that you need as a husband to you know a wife. So um, I do feel like, yeah, there's divisiveness that do come from like some yeah. African African people. I'm sorry, but yeah. it's just what it is. And like Daniel said, this is a whole nother topic on its own. Exactly. We can spend like yeah. an hour Definitely. on this. Yeah. What I will say, though, 
Um, I do agree with that person that Hakeem spoke to. I don't feel that black folks in America should call themselves African Americans. Not not even because unless they've gone to Africa, nah, because we've never been to Africa. Most of us have not. So I definitely agree with that. And I also agree with the fact that we don't we don't know black Americans do not know themselves because we don't want to identify with the slave. That's pretty much all it is. We don't want to identify with that entity because we we look at it as a most of us look at it as a as a, a shame, as a dark past. I see it as it's part of who I am. It's in my DNA. We talked about that yesterday. Mm-hmm. That is who I am. Like I have survivor in my blood. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Kendrick said it best. I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. <laughs> like that's it. it. And it's from slaves. So that's just what it is. But yeah, that's another conversation for another podcast because we won't even get to this thing. We can talk about that. So let's just keep moving. Alrighty. So with that being said, we are going to go into our topic, Embracing Dark Moments. And like I said in the introduction, we're going to be talking about um, things, personal Mm -hmm. things that has happened to us and how we overcame, overcame them. So who wants to go first? Ladies first. So wow. Okay, I said who wants to go first, so I don't go first. That's that's oh. why I said that. But I guess I would say that I would go first. <laughs> okay, so um, I think a dark moment that I have experienced in my life was, um, I would say it was when I had a miscarriage. Mm. Um, yeah, it was when I had a miscarriage. And it was... Uh, it was a time period in my life where I felt like my body was against me and that I could never carry a child. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I have failed myself mm-hmm. because um, I just didn't know why, you know? And, and like the whole question that was going through my head is why did this ha- have to happen to me? Was it me? Was it my body? Was it the food that I was eating? Um, was it was I was I overweight you know the doctor would tell you well we don't really know the causes you know but anything could could um, be a cause of, of a miscarriage but I was just trying to wrap my head around why this had to happen to me right and it was just a really dark period of my life one it was painful and two, because I didn't have any family members around to support me. And then I didn't really tell anybody that I was pregnant at that time. So it's like I had to go through it by myself, you know. And um, and the person that I was with at that time also wasn't, you know, there. But I how mean... Was this, I'm sorry if I cut you off, but how, was this, how did he deal with it? I mean, he just... So I called him from the hospital as soon as, soon as I got the result you know I went I went for my second ultrasound and uh, the doctor was trying to look for the heartbeat and she told me I'm sorry I can't find the baby's heartbeat and I was like well what does that mean she was like I'm sorry you had a miscarriage and um, at that moment I just felt like the the whole room was like spinning you know and I just like I just completely froze and she looked at me and she goes because my face was just blank mm-hmm. and she goes uh, you know it's okay to cry 
and I and I was just like, mm hmm. I just I just nodded my head because I just didn't have the words to say. So I just picked up my bag. I left the hospital room, and I went into my car, and then I just broke down crying. You like bawled in tears. Yes, I bawled in tears, and then immediately I called him, and I was crying, and. For some reason, I don't know why he kept asking me what the sex of the child was. And I told him, yo, I had a miscarriage. And he was like, well, did they tell you the sex of the baby? And I said, I had a miscarriage. And he said, well, was it a boy or a girl? I had a miscarriage. <laughs> I don't so know why not, that was not. not yeah. It's not this moment. Right. I had a miscarriage. And, and, it's just the biggie. Right. And, and, and he was like, well, I'm at work right now. What do you want me to do? And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Do you not know that you're the father of this baby? But anyways, he um, he came home. He you know told he told his boss that um, he had family family emergencies. No, he didn't even tell his boss he had family emergencies. He he told his boss he had a, a car problem. So which means that this emergency was not big enough for him to say, hey, you know, right? You know, we're mm-hmm. we're dealing with this. So so he came uh, he came over for a little bit. He was like, oh, it's okay, don't cry, don't cry. And I was like, I had a miscarriage. Why are you telling me not to cry? What do you mean, don't cry? This this is this is, you know, painful. It's 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 crucial. And um I guess that was his way of dealing with like to sympathize. That's his own style of sympathizing. Right. Um see, I feel like I didn't really get much much sympathy from him though. And okay. mind you, this is someone that I was with for four years. Mm-hmm. We were getting ready for our ceremony in Nigeria, our wedding ceremony, marriage ceremony, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, it things. God is so good because it it took this for me to realize that this is not the man that God right. has for you. Exactly. And I guess we get to that point later. Let me just talk about the story mm-hmm. now. So it it was like okay, he came. And you know, as a CNS man, right. he opened up his Bible, read read a read a psalm into water, mm. and was like, "Okay, drink it." And I was like, "You think the baby's gonna come back to life?" He's like, "Well, you never know what's gonna happen. You never know what God can do." And I was just like, "Dude, like, can you just take religion out of this, out of this and this just point, be which, yeah. in this moment mm-hmm. where I'm experiencing, I'm mm-hmm. I'm expressing to you that I just had a miscarriage, right. and instead of you to comfort me, to comfort us." You're telling me to not cry and to, you know, be strong and to do this. And then five minutes later, he walked out. He went He went back to work. Was he pissed or he just left? No, he just like, well, I have to go back to work. Wow. Okay. I know, right? <laughs> and then I was like, wow. And then I think for like a whole month straight because I had two options. I had an option to either uh, get the baby scraped out, some procedure, I forgot the name, an option to get the baby scraped out or to just wait four weeks until it just discharges um itself. itself. I I decided to wait four weeks, which I think I shouldn't have done. Because I feel like in my mind I thought, you know what, this baby can't come back to life. And I I just kept saying, you know what, this baby it, it it's still inside. You never know what God can do. I'm just gonna wait and see. I mean, but in my mind I knew mm-hmm. like you know, this is it. If it does, child's not gonna come back to life. Like, how would that? Ha- I mean, not saying that it couldn't happen or God couldn't have performed a miracle, but I felt like God was trying to wake me up from something, something or like to prevent me from going into something that I know that I would later regret. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, I waited four weeks, 
and the baby just came on its own. It was the most painful experience ever. Uh-huh. And not just physically painful, but emotionally painful. I remember when it started to happen, I was at work and um, I just started feeling so much pain. And I told my boss that, yo, I, I really have to go because I'm experiencing so much pain right now. And I went to the bathroom and it was just lots of blood. So, sorry, I know it's, it's, it's a okay. lot of information. It's okay. So then I went, I drove myself to the ER. Drove myself to the ER, uh, got, got, uh, what you, admitted, they did what they did, yeah. or whatever, and then it was just painful, and then I called him, my boyfriend at that time, I called him, and I said, yo, I'm in the hospital, I'm in pain, he was like, well, I don't get off work till 12 a.m., or no, till 9, 9 p.m., and this was like 4 p.m. at this time, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., he's like, well, I'm gonna come by when I get off work at 9 p.m., and I was like, seriously, dude? Seriously, dude, like I'm in a hospital mm-hmm. in pain, mm-hmm. so much blood, like it's, and you're not gonna come till 9 p.m. So I called Trash. my sister, very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I called my sister all the way in New York and I told her what I was going through. And she's like, man, I'm not there. What about your boyfriend? I was like, well, he's not gonna be here till later. She's like, what? She didn't, whatever, but that passed. So I called my brother. My brother came immediately. Of course, that's my brother. He loves me. No, my older brother. Okay. Um, so I called him. He came by immediately, and he stayed for a while. And um, basically, I just had to wait until I was under, I was better, I guess, better. until the pain um, lessened. <clears throat> so 9 p.m. came around, and he came, he, and my brother was there. And my brother was trying to talk to him. He's like, yo, dude, I understand that you're going through some things right now. It's going to be fine. And he didn't say nothing. He was just like, yeah, yeah, she'll be fine. And I was just like, what? Like, are you not a so part like, of this was process? Was oblivious yeah, I to mean, the things that was going on? It just felt like he just didn't care. Mm. It just felt like he just didn't care. It's almost like it, he wanted it to happen, kind of. Like, mm. like he didn't want to be involved, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think part of it. Part of me feels like he made a very distinct distinction when he asked for the sex of the child. Because I feel like had he known the sex of the child, the way he would have responded was different, would have been different. Mm-hmm. Because I hate to say it, um, in certain cultures, the male is the, the, the passing down of the legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you were to have said, well, we found out it was a boy, he might have been a little more receptive to mm-hmm. you feeling sad and being a little more upfront and trying to support you. Whereas you had said a girl, he probably would have been even more yeah. distant from you. He just took than every he was single word then. Out of my mouth. So it's like he has this little happy medium, happy medium where he's distant, but he's still going to stick to his word. He's like, well, I get off at nine. So he gets there at 9 15. Right. He's off of work at nine. So it was like, ah. I'm going to mourn a little bit because it might have been a boy, but I'm not going to care too much because it might have been a girl. Girl, right. Mm. That's, that's, I don't know. That's crazy. So what, what was the healing process for you? What was the... Because I knew you in the season. I never knew. When I saw you, I never yeah. knew you were going through this. Yeah, and you were, most people didn't you, know. You, um, you always cared a smile. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think your body once said, I'm the girl with the big the big giant smile or something yeah. but you always carried that big giant smile yeah. and you would always still teach the kids and mm-hmm. I did know you in this in this mm-hmm. season and yeah. I, I didn't even know you went through this yeah, no. um, phase 
So, um, you know, I found out when I found out, but yeah. um, it's just, um, how was the healing process? Because that's a very, I've never, like, I do know about miscarriages, but I don't really know that, you know, the baby will come out of you mm-hmm. and, like, all that, you know, all that good stuff will happen. But mm-hmm. it's just, how did you help? Because that is painful. And um, mm-hmm. I've heard, um, I think Gabriella, you know, talk about she went, she went through it 13 good times. And now you yeah. went through it once and it was a very, very strenuous process. Mm-hmm. So what was the healing point for you? How did you heal? How did you um, believe that? Yes. I will be a mother one day and I would have yeah. my own kids. The healing process was very, um, what is it, isolating? I don't know. I, I feel like I healed by myself, but not stri- strictly by myself because <clears throat> I had the strength of God, obviously. And it was, yes, I did keep it to myself. And I did come to church every day with a smile on my face like nothing happened. Even though I was going through this turmoil, I still went to work. Um, I still came to church. It took it took about a good eight weeks, eight to nine weeks for the bleeding to completely stop. So just imagine. Sorry, I know that no, no, that's no. a lot of information. It's, no, 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 no. It's, uh, the pain. I'm just like I'm actually yeah. like feeling it with you, like the yeah. pain of you know going through that. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, I don't know. I felt. I think the reason why I didn't want to tell anyone is because of shame. You know, mm. I didn't want to. Feel like is it the shame that's going to come from everybody or the from shame the African gonna, community The shame that's going to come from, well, you had sex out of wedlock, you're not married, married you shouldn't yes. be having a baby anyways. Mm-hmm. It was that shame, and it was a shame of, oh, wow, you're a woman and you couldn't hold your baby. Right. So it was, it was those two things. It was those two things that kept me from saying it out loud, saying, saying especially out loud. to the African community. Right. It's like... Especially in church, because that was, I feel like back then, that was like my home. I was always, I was always, always in church. Always there, definitely. Always there. You were and, a Zion girl. She was a Zion yeah. girl. <laughs> and because I was trying to heal, and because, you know, I I was really trying to get closer to God, because at that time, me and my boyfriend at that time had broken up. Mm. So it was just like, now I'm by myself, you right. know, I'm by myself, and I'm with God. So I, I have to get through this, because I knew that I couldn't stay in this depressive state right. for for forever so I was just really trying to recover and rejuvenate and get myself back together you know and for some reason during that period I just kept asking for forgiveness because I thought well maybe it's, it's something that I did that um, allowed God to take the child away maybe it was a sin that I committed mm-hmm. maybe it was because I, I was having sex out of wedlock maybe it's because you know, I wasn't a virgin. You know, mm. all these all things. These, yeah, but I was yeah. asking God, God, please forgive me. Don't happen again. Mm. And I was promising God, next man I sleep with is gonna be my husband. Next, my my next man is gonna my husband. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Right. And I think that is when I took my oath of celibacy. Of like, okay, I'm going to be celibate. Celibate, right? Until marriage. And um, well, I mean, to add to that though, even in celibacy and getting married and even being in a in a in a covenant of marriage. Miscarriages still happen. I'll That's be honest true. with you. It still happens. So it's not what you did and it's not your fault. It's just, mm-hmm. um, it happens. And like, God, I don't think, you know, God was in charge of, you know, oh, I'm not, um, you know, I'm going to take this baby away. No. I mean, I think even in that season, God was with you and he mm-hmm. was walking you through that process. I mean, mm-hmm. the person you were with might not have seen it that way, but God was with, with you and he helped you through that. I mean, you're still here today. So, right. I mean, there's right. hope and there's, you right. know, there's always, um, there's always a brighter future at the end of like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of end of every t- tunnel. Mm-hmm. So that is strong and that's mm-hmm. just very brave. And thank you for opening up because yeah. people don't come, they don't come out with these kind of things. They don't talk about it because mm-hmm. it's just more like, it's a very big personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I think your story would actually give hope to others that, you know, 
God can still do miracles and, you know, you can always achieve whatever you put your mind to. Right, right. I agree. I think, I think, um, I'm trying to look at this objectively Mm -hmm. because as your boyfriend, I have choice words for that individual. (laughs) And so I'm trying to like come as this from Daniel, as Daniel, not as Daniel as Tammy's current. Um, First, I think one of the things that we tend to do when bad things happen, we try, the first thing we rationalize is, well, what did I do for God to allow this, for God to allow this to happen? And I think one thing that is not taught in churches is that sometimes things just happen. Mm-hmm. It's nothing necessarily to do with God or even the enemy of Satan. Sometimes things just happen as part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. It just comes with being a human. Um, that's my first thing. And then my question to you is now that you have been I don't want to say removed from that. Now that you've come far from that situation, you have walked further now in life and you have overcome this moment. How do you, looking back on that now, how do you see yourself back then compared to now? And how do you feel about, and this might be too touchy of a subject, how do you feel about childbirth now in light of that? Well, interesting question i think if i could look back at myself now and compare my two selves i would say that i actually have more faith now than i did back then and i trust god now no matter what no matter what happens um i have a trust in god that um all things work together for good because looking back now i realize that that situation work together for my good and my benefit and that God was trying to take me out of a situation or of someone that was not for me so I mean let's say even if I did have the baby I would have I strongly believe that I would have I would have been a single mother because he wouldn't have been there even if he was there I would have carried the load of that child by myself and I think that was a situation that God was trying to prevent from happening so I would say that I'm thankful for it now and I'm thankful for knowing God in a different way I'm not knowing God as a God who takes and takes and kills and destroys because that's not his purpose that's not his function um I now now I see God as a loving father a loving father who loves his children and who also disciplines his children for them to come back to him so yeah and the childbirthing process I, st- I, I, I believe that the childbirthing process is, is, is beautiful. And one thing I have to say is that I know that I'm going to be a mother one day. I know mm-hmm. for sure I'm going to carry my own child. Um, <laughs> Daniel. I know that I will. And um, yeah, and, and that's just it. I believe in God for that. Amen. Um, I also want to add on to that, and then I'll, I'll go next when I add on to that. Two things. Uh, one, one of the beautiful one of the beautiful things I love about God is God doesn't just do all the things that you describe, but God also mourns with us. Mm-hmm. Yes. God cries with us. God feels the pains with us. Mm-hmm. Because 
He knows what it's like to lose a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. He does. He knows what it's like to lose a child. Yeah. So in those moments, for some of us, it can bring us closer to God because mm-hmm. God knows what it's like to lose a child. Yes. And yeah, I think that's just a beautiful thing that that's a beautiful thing about God that he understands that pain mm-hmm. very intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is, I just want to reiterate the trash of that guy. Oh, <laughs> God. Um, I just want to reiterate that part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to say something real profound and to say something real petty right after that. <laughs> I got to balance myself out. Oh, I got to my. balance myself out. Okay, so... Um, the moment, my dark moment, the, the, the darkest moment that have come over, uh, was my last year in undergrad. We were doing, I was in my capstone and we had to do a research project. And what was your major on. before you continue? What, what did you major in? Psychology. Okay. Okay. So okay. Our, our capstone, yeah. Our capstone was we had to do a study. And so... It seemed like there were every roadblock that could have been there was not only there but fortified with steel. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was having a breakdown about every other day. And then when I finally decided to get help, I was pretty much told that you need to go talk to your professor about giving you leniency because there's no way you can finish this in time. So I went to my car and I cried for like two hours in my car. Mm -hmm. I talked to that person around eight o'clock. So I was in my car till about 10, 30, 11, just crying, just crying and telling God that, you know, I'm done with this. I don't want to keep going. I'm going to quit school. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to leave the church. I'm just going to stay at home and look at myself and remind myself that I am a complete and utter failure. Wow. That was that was how I felt in that moment. Um. Yeah. So um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I know growing up, and I think we're both um, we're both we're both males, and um, we did grow up as like guys, obviously. And um, <laughs> um, yeah. there's this big notion of guys don't cry. What is your big take on that? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, so I don't have an issue with that. Um, guys need to cry because if we don't cry, it manifests itself in other ways because we still get those emotions out. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of the energy that we put out. So I would say if men don't cry, they're going to take it out on their significant others, those around them. So the energy gets out, but it's more therapeutic for us and more beneficial for those around us for us to be open and honest and shedding tears. Like my dad, my dad is not from that era of not crying, but he is from that era of not crying. So I've only seen, my dad is 65. I've only seen him cry about five times in my entire life. Mm. 
some of that is because he's a man. Some of that is because of the verbal and physical abuse that he endured living in the deep South. Um, now we can talk about that some other time, but let's just say the stories, the life that he has lived living in the deep South during the, the full blown racism Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's rough. Like he has told me stories of seeing the clan on horses in trucks, fully fully clothed in their hoods and sheets, wow. riding down the street. He's seen the burning crosses. He's seen all of that, and a lot of his apprehension on crying is more so him being numb from all the things that he's endured as a kid and as a teenager. And yeah, so I've only seen him cry about five times. And it's usually when somebody dies. Usually when somebody dies. Um as we as I've gotten older, I've seen him cry a little bit more. But like the real tears, I've only seen about five times. Mm. But yeah, so um men need to cry. There's nothing wrong with crying. It doesn't take away from your masculinity if you cry. Exactly. Because if it does, then that means Jesus wasn't masculine because mm-hmm. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he wept. He wept. Yes. Mic drop. Yes. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> In the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, what was the healing point for you? How did you get back up from that, you know, that little, um, what you went through in that season? So, it's really interesting how that happened. Um, as I was crying, at that point, I was really into this one song by Israel Horton. Yeah. Um, oh, to Worship You, I Live. So yeah. Away I from the song. noise, alone with you. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters. My one desire is to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Mm-hmm. So that song was on repeat during this entire time. And there was no, there was no resolution to that. There was no peace. If anything, there was just a refortified strength mm-hmm. that came within me out of that song. Mm-hmm. 